0: Ha 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 Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 12, Episode 7. I'm your host, Otis Chary, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Dominic Eagle. Tonight, you'll hear tales of Watchmen being watched late-night courtesies, paths not taken for good reason, and legends that tell themselves. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first three spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> I'm sure there's many of you out there that were cut adrift when certain diseases were wandering the earth in large numbers left to fend for yourselves in a dark and uncertain world. But like our friend in our first story this evening, maybe you got lucky and landed your dream job. But when your dream becomes a nightmare, you have to ask yourself, was it all worth it? Without further ado, I present to you the Neighborhood watchman. Nearly three years ago, when the pandemic began, I moved my family to a small hamlet in the Scottish Islands. I won't give you its name, I wouldn't want you to find this place. That being said, I can no longer keep this secret to myself. Before this life, I was a poorly paid security guard at a major bank in Carlisle. In December 2019, I was laid off. Over the following month or two, as the world commenced its descent into chaos, I frantically scoured the internet for any kind of job vacancy. Nowhere was hiring. Businesses were closing. Talks of lockdown had begun. I was worried my family and I would become homeless. There were no jobs in Carlisle. I widened my search to the entirety of Great Britain. That was when I found the perfect job listing. Neighborhood watchman, 31,000 pounds per annum, seven days a week, midnight to 4 a.m. Civil service, funded by the Strathspey Council, includes residents for employee and family. Relevant experience preferred. Relevant experience baffled me because I'd never heard of a paid neighborhood watchman before. I was certain that no such job really existed, neighborhood watch was merely a collective of concerned residents, surely. I couldn't believe that a council would really pay somebody to do that. I saw that dozens of people had already applied for the position. Time was of the essence. I polished my CV, placing heavy emphasis on the skills I'd acquired from two decades of security work for a bank. When I received an email from Harriet Glade to say that I'd been accepted for the position... I was ecstatic. I didn't have to let my family down. I didn't have to worry about being a failure in their eyes. We packed up and drove north. My two children, Rory and Grace, were a little disappointed that we weren't moving to Edinburgh or Glasgow. They were even more disappointed when they first laid eyes on the tiny hamlet that would become our new home. The job title suddenly made complete sense. I was to be a neighborhood watchman because this hamlet was merely a residential street in the middle of nowhere. There was a row of six terraced houses on one side of a long country road. In fact, everything in the hamlet was on the same side of the road. A Little farther along, there was a small convenience shop, and just beyond that was a gargantuan house that would become our home. My children perked up when they saw the building. My wife gasped. I gasped. It was spectacular. When I read the word residence in the job advertisement, I had not expected something twice as big as our old home. It was three stories tall and it overlooked the forest, which was a few hundred yards away. Between the hamlet and the wooded area was a large wooden watchtower, and it was about 70 feet tall. Okay, this is cool. I forgive you, Dad, Grace said. I laughed. My wife kissed me on the cheek as I pulled onto the driveway. Everybody clambered out of the vehicle, eager to explore the house. "'You must be the Graysons.' A voice came from the direction of the hamlet. I closed the car door and turned to face a short, elderly Scottish woman. She scurried towards me and held out a hand, and I shook it. Harriet Blade, the woman said. you Grayson, I presume.' ''That's me,'' I replied. ''The house is beautiful.'' ''Aye, so it is.'' ''Karen had assured me that the inside is ship-shape,'' Harriet said. My wife walked over to introduce herself. ''Fay Grayson,'' she said, shaking Harriet's hand. ''Nice to meet you, Fay. ''How do you feel about living in such an isolated place, eh?'' Harriet asked. Oh, ''It'll take some adjusting,'' Fay said.'' Clasping her hand around mine, but I'll be fine. I work from home. Oh, I. Uh, when the internet's working, so do I. Harriet chuckled. Do you mind if I ask something? I blurted out. Mm, go ahead, Harriet replied. This is a civil job, correct? And you work for Strathspey Council, I asked. Aye, that's right. Harriet replied, nodding. I deal with administrative matters. Well. We're a long way from Strasbay, I pointed out. Why is this position so important to them? I'm not complaining about being hired for such a well-paid job, but it's a sizable investment from a town so far from here. It would be a sizable investment even if it had been a local council, I thought to myself. I still didn't understand why a neighborhood watchman was needed. I suppose it's time to talk about your rule, eh? Harriet said, waving for me to follow her. I'll take the kids inside, Fay said. Have you got the keys? Our door is unlocked, dearie. Keys are on the table, Harriet explained. I remember thinking that such a lackadaisical attitude seemed out of place for a hamlet with its own watchtower. But don't worry. I only unlocked it this morning, Harriet said, reading my mind. I assure you that we keep our doors locked in this hamlet. Where are we going? I asked. Karen's shop which we like to use as a town hall, when the need arises, Harriet explained. He's the mayor of this hamlet, you might say. He supplies the food, he fixes broken things, and he makes the final call on all decisions. She led me into the store, which was deceptively spacious. In the center of the room, there was a clearing with twelve chairs. two were empty. A middle-aged man with a bushy beard rose to his feet. Hello, Darren. The man roared jubilant. "'raising his arms in a welcoming gesture. "'It's nice to finally meet you. "'I'm Karen Green, and these are your neighbors.' "'Hi.' "'A young woman, sheepishly, chirped up, raising a hand. "'I'm Lottie. This is my husband, Dave. "'We have three wee ones at home. "'They're very excited to meet your wee weans. weans? I asked. "'The room erupted with laughter. "'English folk, eh?' Harriet chuckled and then smiled at me. A wean is a child. Oh, right, I laughed awkwardly. Yeah, I've got two children. I'm sorry about that. The rest of the people in the room introduced themselves, other than two silent, sinister-looking boys. And that just leaves these stoic teenagers, Karen said, motioning toward the two fearsome chaps who were sitting with their arms crossed. These are my boys, Barry on the left, Richard on the right. "'They help me out at the store, but they don't talk much.' "'It's nice to meet all of you, I stammered. "'That's a lot of names,' Karen chuckled, sitting back down. "'Aye, I know this is all quite overwhelming. "'And it's not even what you want to know, is it?' "'I laughed uncomfortably, shrugging. "'Karen nodded, removing his glasses, "'polishing them with the bottom of his leather jacket, "'then placing them back on his face.' This is a quiet road, Darren. It's a good place with good people. Karen stopped, his lip trembling. But it doesn't mean we're surrounded by good things, you know. My new neighbors murmured and nodded their heads in agreement. I see that the watchtower overlooks the forest, I said. Is there something dangerous in there? Karen paused for a long time. Aye, you could say that. I thought of all the deadly wildlife in Britain and uh, that it was exterminated centuries ago, I replied. Well, Karen hesitated. There are things in that forest. You wouldn't believe me even if I were to tell you. I was a little exasperated at this point. What exactly does my job entail? I know I only have to sit in the watchtower, but when would I sound the alarm, so to speak? You'd know, Karen promised but I hope it doesn't come to that. He swiftly changed the topic by offering tea and biscuits to everyone. I didn't know much about Scottish wildlife, but I knew it wasn't particularly threatening. I couldn't see why a tiny hamlet would need a watchman to spot deer or highland cows. I felt unsettled, to say the least. I was on watch seven days a week. Faye didn't mind because my hours were short. Midnight to 4 a.m., One thousand pounds, fantastic! I had plenty of time to spend with my family, even though I'd sleep until midday. I remember being terrified of my first night as the Watchman. So it was almost an anticlimax when nothing happened. Nothing happened for months. Well, a wild boar ran out of the forest in quite a state. I shoot it back. It was twenty minutes of excitement. Can I come up to the watchtower? I remember Rory asking as I tucked him into bed. Oh, it's boring up there, I laughed. Even being a security guard has more fun. Sometimes, from my window, I watch the forest with you, Grace said as I knelt down to kiss her goodnight. I smiled. Don't worry. I won't tell your mum that you were out of bed. Thanks, Grace replied. Could you tell Harriet, though? Basically doing the same job as you, and I wouldn't mind a 31,000-pound salary. I cackled until my eyes brimmed with water. Ten-year-olds say the darndest things. Her five-year-old brother always seemed confused by her quips, and that only made each situation funnier. Still, Grace's words rang true. What was I doing? Why was I being paid so much for this? I kept dismissing it as a bureaucratic oversight and continued to happily collect my money, but I didn't like the idea of performing a pointless service. Am I just doing nothing every day? I asked Faye. Half the world is trapped at home. They're doing nothing, my wife pointed out. This is a blessing, dear. We've landed on our feet. Look at this amazing house. We wouldn't have ever been able to buy this place, even if we'd combined our salaries. How many people get such an incredible opportunity? Faye always had a way of soothing me. Let's just say on a particularly warm night in the summer of 2020, she found a way to liven up my watch. The kids were having a sleepover with three youngsters at Lottie's house, and Faye kept me company in the watchtower. I think you get my drift. As we were getting dressed, I looked out at the glass pane that overlooked the forest. The blood drained from my face. Standing a few yards in front of the treeline, was something on all fours. It looked like a man who had contorted his limbs, bending his arms and legs outward to walk like a four-legged creature. Whatever black shape I saw, it immediately scurried backwards when it sensed my gaze. It vanished into the forest. "'Did you see that?' I asked Faye. "'What? Are you worried someone was watching?' My wife teased before clambering down the ladder and returning to the house. I was more vigilant than usual over the following weeks. Those four hours started to feel ceaseless. It kept my eyes peeled in the forest. Even blinking felt like a luxury I couldn't afford. I was actually working at long last, and I was exhausted. The fear had fatigued me. By December, I had decided enough was enough. I needed to start getting some proper sleep. I started to relax on my shifts. It was just an animal, I decided. As the temperature plummeted below freezing and snow began to fall, the daily watch grew more brutal. On one particular shift, I was shivering in my poorly insulated room at the top of the watchtower, watching white flecks cascade from the sky and obscure my view of the forest. I saw something. The first thing I'd seen since the haunting apparition. An ocean of snow had entirely coated the treetops and the ground below me, but I could faintly see black shapes emerging from the forest. I felt my soul vacate my body for a brief moment. I hadn't imagined the creature at all. It was real, and there were more than one of them. Black, spindly limbs slowly marched through the snow. "'I could see half a dozen of the things heading toward our hamlet. "'As I fumbled in my thick coat for the walkie-talkie, "'I saw that the creatures were huddling together "'and making their way towards my tower. "'Karen!' I cried into the walkie-talkie. "'Are you there? "'There's some sort of animal coming out of the forest.' "'To my surprise, his response was instant. "'You've done well. You've given us time. "'I need you to abandon your post and meet me in my store.' I didn't need to be told twice. As I practically slid down the ladder from my tower, I squinted at the creatures through the thick waterfowl of snowflakes in the sky. still couldn't really believe what my eyes were seeing. Let's just say that my curiosity wasn't as strong as my will to live. I didn't stick around to get a better look. I waded through white muck, fixating my eyes on Karen's shop, and refusing to look back. He was motioning for me to hurry up. Once I was safely inside, he bolted the door behind me. I suddenly realized that my family was there. Everybody from the Hamlet was there. Faye, Rory, and Grace ran toward me and I embraced them. What's happening? Faye whispered. Everybody needs to follow Barry and Richard to the back of the shop. You'll be safe there, Karen ordered. Emotionless brothers nodded and started to lead the small group of residents to the door behind the till. Not you, watchman, Karen said, grabbing my wrist before I could join my family. they stopped and turned to face me. Richard grabbed her arm and I shook his head. He insisted that my wife follow him. I heard her continue to ask what was happening as Barry closed the door and locked it. He and his brothers stayed in the main shop area with Karen and me. Look, Karen said. I looked. Outside the shop window was the main road, snow-covered grass, then a blanket of darkness. There was a long, glorious moment of silence. Then, from the black void before us, the creatures emerged. I could finally see them clearly. My eyes had not deceived me. These things looked half-human. Stripped bare, bodies coated in mud, and limbs bent outward, as the first creatures reached the road, I saw in their eyes black pupils. Their mouths were open and their teeth appeared to have been sharpened. What are they? I asked in a breathless voice. Aye, that's the question we can answer, Karen replied. See why you would have believed me? What are they? I repeated. Used to be like us. Karen replied. Folks say something happened in one of the old factories 30 years ago. Truth is, we don't know. But every once in a blue moon, we see him. This is sooner than I expected. Before the last sighting in 2019, we hadn't seen him for 20 years. Now, a year later, here we find ourselves. Maybe they're getting less patient. This, I paused, unable to think. What do we do? "'There's only one thing that appeases them,' Karen said. "'And what's that?' I asked. "'A sudden thump on the right side of my face was certainly unexpected. "'I fell to the floor, clutching my wounded jaw, and I looked up at Karen. "'The bastard had sucker-punched me.' "'I'm sorry, lad,' Karen said. "'Other than the brothers. "'The people in there don't quite understand how it works.' I don't know how we managed to survive. The sacrifice. That's what it takes. The brave watchman died fighting the beasts. The beast returned to the forest. He found another watchman to take his place. You. The hero, of the sacrificial lamb. You? You're crazy! I cried, crawling backward across the floor. As Karen strolled towards me, I looked out of the shop door on my left. Creatures were standing in the road. They were waiting patiently. I have twenty people to protect my hamlet. Look, I'll make sure your family has enough money to set them up for life. Do this for them, Darren. We have to give the creatures something, we have to show them a wee bit of respect, I, Karen shouted, growing flustered. I twisted my head to the right, looking for something in the store that I could use to defend myself. And don't think about calling to your family, okay? Karen warned. Otherwise, my boys might just let them out. The creatures might be treated to a bigger meal. I had an idea, but I had to act quickly. Okay, let's start this performance, Karen said, clearing his throat. What are you doing, Watchman? Don't go out there. That's bloody suicide. Please, you don't need to prove anything to us and fight the creatures. I grabbed a heavy porcelain vase from the shelf next to me and launched it with all my might through the shop window. It shattered. No, Karen, I bellowed, using his own trick. Don't do it. The man did not have a chance to say anything in response. One of the creatures had already crawled through the broken window. The beast sunk its teeth into Karen's neck, claiming its trophy. The shopkeeper wailed as the creature dragged him over the broken glass into the night. Richard and Barry charged blindly after their father. I bolted myself to my feet and quietly backed toward the door behind the till. I didn't dare take my eyes off the creatures, but they were a little busy. Richard was faster than Barry. He swung his fist at one of the monsters that was dragging his father away. He fell flat in the road. the boy even had a chance to stand up. Two of the creatures had set upon him. They frantically dug their pincher-like limbs into his body. I cannot quite describe the sound of agony that escaped his mouth, as a cavity was created in his back, and his blood began to paint the snow. All I can say is that the sound was short-lived, and the creatures continued to hack away at his corpse, until it was an indistinguishable pile of crushed organs and bones in the snow. Barry's fate was worse. His father had long been dragged away at this point, but once the surviving brother had pulled himself free from the state of frozen stasis, he charged through the broken shop window to avenge his brother. Two of the creatures had disappeared into the forest with Karen's body. The four remaining beasts surrounded Barry. When they pounced... They knocked him into the snow, and each of the creatures seized a limb. Moving in four different directions, the horrific creatures pulled at Barry's arms and legs. They pulled until the flesh started to tear and the bones started to break. Barry's screams were louder than those of his brother. The creatures continued to pull. Then, in beautifully horrific unison, all four limbs detached from Barry's torso at once like the most macabre choreography imaginable. The creatures brought their dance to a close. At this point, realizing I was the only one left, I fumbled with the door handle behind the till. I heard my family crying inside. Then I realized one of the brothers had the key in my heart sank. I was sure I would die. By some strange twist of fate I The creatures ignored me and followed their deformed friends back into the forest. I never told the people of my hamlet what Karen had done to the previous watchman. I didn't want them to know that the poor man had died unwillingly. I didn't want them to know that Karen had planned the same for me. Then again, am I any better? I offered the creatures a sacrifice, after all. I know I should leave this place, I should take my family and run. These people don't know what Karen had to do to protect them. And the creatures will return, whether one year or ten years from now. When that happens, what will I do?
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take
0: I hope you enjoyed The Neighborhood Watchman by Dominic Eagle, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting com slash eagle. That's com slash e-a-g-l-e. You may find his most recent offerings at The Eagle Strikes on Reddit, but you may also be interested to know he's working on a short story anthology entitled Thirteen, containing, as you might guess, twelve, no, no, I mean thirteen tales of misery and grotesquerie for your enjoyment. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that me, Otis Jary, sent you. It would mean a lot to... Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Two thoughts strike me when we finish that first tale. One, maybe the Hamlet isn't such a wonderful place. And once they eat everyone there, maybe all those monsters will go away. And two, why attack a mere Hamlet? I say, if you're going to feast on a town, go for the whole ham. But it's not just monsters in the night that can cause one to lose sleep. Sometimes it's just a noise you hear outside. Maybe unexpected, maybe just loud and obnoxious. Or like the second tale of tonight's broadcast, maybe a little of both with a dash of eeriness thrown in. Because there's nothing quite like public transportation that just shows up in the middle of the night and just waits for someone. Maybe you. Without further ado, I present to you Night Coach. For context, I'm a middle-aged man who lives on the outskirts of Parbold, a small English village. My house is the only one on a long winding country road, but it does have a bus stop. From my bedroom window, I can see it on the other side of the road. It's quite handy, really. I never miss the morning bus to work, and I know the schedule by heart. That's why I was bewildered when I first noticed, at 3.17 a.m., the bus on Saturday, the 14th of October. It woke me up, actually. I'm a light sleeper. I sat upright in my bed, twisted my body around, propped myself up on my knees, and gingerly inched the curtains open. The old lamppost on my road illuminated an ominous, fully gray, non-branded, single-decker bus. There was no interior lighting. I couldn't see a driver or any passengers. Now, this was obviously bizarre. Buses don't show up at that time in the morning. Not in this country. Not in any town or city I know, anyway. Still, I assumed, as any person would, that times were changing. It seemed like a good idea. A bus for those who missed the last train home after a night out, perhaps. But that still didn't entirely make sense because very few people use my bus stop. It's a ten-minute walk from here to anywhere. I checked the schedule. Nothing. There was a bus at 11.07 p.m. on Friday evening, and there shouldn't have been another one until 6.05 a.m. Saturday morning. I watched the vehicle pull away and perhaps considered that it wasn't a public bus. Maybe it was a hired coach. It seemed like a reasonable explanation. I put it out of my mind and went back to sleep. However, it returned the next morning. And it continued to do so for weeks. Again, I checked the schedule. Still, no mention of a 3.17 a.m. bus. I called the council and they assured me that it wasn't a public bus... They said that I could contact the local authorities to report any suspicious activity. So, I rang the police. They didn't care. They passed me over to some civil department with a forgettable name. That department passed me over to another department. Nobody was concerned. It became clear that each person I contacted just wanted me to tire of the whole thing and stop bothering them. And I gave up on seeking help but I couldn't give up on my quest for an answer. I started making notes. The bus always arrived at exactly 3.17 a.m. It would linger for approximately 30 seconds. Nobody ever departed or boarded the vehicle. I took a picture of it and posted it on various forums. Nobody could identify the origin of the faceless gray bus, but one comment did stand out. I remember a user telling me, that I should sell my house and move. They said that the bus was there for me. More importantly, they said that I shouldn't, under any circumstances, board it. Well, that seemed like a rather obvious piece of advice. I wasn't planning on boarding a sketchy unlisted bus in the pitch-black hours of the morning. But everything changed on the 20th of November. The bus arrived on time, 3.17 a.m., I knelt on my bed and peeked at it through the curtain as it rounded the corner. Something was different. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Once the vehicle had rolled to a complete stop, I heard it. Somebody on the bus was screaming. I froze. I didn't know what to do. Silence followed, but I knew I hadn't imagined it. I knew I heard that scream. I watched the bus and waited. Thirty seconds passed. A lot of time passed. When I finally peeled my eyes from the road to check my phone, it was 3.29 a.m. The bus hadn't moved. The world outside was still eerily quiet. I reattached myself to reality and started dialing 999. The call kept failing, and then I saw that I had no signal. None. I usually had signal at the house, I was freaking out, so I got up to turn on my bedroom light. Nothing. I flicked a switch back and forth. No power. The story was the same throughout the house. I was about to head out to the fuse box, but I looked out my living room window to see a blackened world. The lamppost was dead. It had to be a power cut. That was when I finally understood, for the first time in my ten years of solitary living, that I was truly isolated. I had no neighbors, no friends, no family. I was all alone. The gravity of the situation dawned on me. I would have to leave the house. My self-preservation instinct was to stay indoors, but I couldn't ignore the disembodied scream that had echoed through the night. I knew it had come from the bus. I knew I couldn't live with myself if I were to dismiss it. Armed with a winter coat and a wind-up torch, I bravely ventured into the night, locking my door behind me. I tentatively strolled down my front path, stopping at the gate to cast the torchlight on the other side of the road. It revealed the gray, stationary, seemingly abandoned bus. There were no signs of life. Everything was so quiet. I swore to myself that I could hear my heartbeat in my eardrums. I swung the creaky gate open and began to cross the road, futilely attempting to steady my quaking knees. My torch wobbled in my shaky left hand, so I clasped my wrist with my right hand. I shone the light into the windows of the parked vehicle. There was definitely no driver, but it was an elevated coach, so I couldn't see whether there were any passengers. I walked around the front of the vehicle, summoning the courage to enter it. When I reached the other side of the bus, I stood still. I tried to control my breathing. I eyed the doors for what seemed an eternity, and I felt my entire body clench. The doors opened. My torchlight still wasn't revealing a driver. I couldn't see or hear anyone. I thought, for a brief moment, of that Internet stranger who told me not to board the bus. But I couldn't get the scream out of my head. My gut told me that somebody was in danger. I stepped onto the bus and started to climb the stairs. The doors closed. I held the torch before me as if it were a weapon, and I gradually climbed the next set of stairs to the elevated passenger platform. I spent several seconds on each step, savoring what I felt could be my final moments on Earth. Then I illuminated the passenger area before me, I half expected to see nothing. No. There was somebody on the bus. The young girl was sitting in the middle seat on the back row. Her head was in her palms. She was crying. Couldn't see her face. Are you okay? I asked, timidly. No answer. So I started to walk forwards. I didn't know whether there was anyone else on board, but I couldn't leave her. Once I was standing only a few yards in front of her, I knelt down in the aisle. Are you okay? I asked a second time. The girl's crying abruptly ceased, but she didn't lift her head from her hands. You shouldn't have boarded the bus, she replied. My torch died. I furiously wound the lever at the side, but it didn't spring back to life. The girl and I had been plunged into darkness. Then I heard the bus doors open. I slowly turned my head to face the front of the bus. I could hear the sound of low, guttural breathing. It was followed by clunking footsteps. Dim moonlight shone through the front window, but it was sufficient to display a hulking figure at the other end of the aisle. A black specter with gangly limbs was moving toward us. He was hunched forward, and his elongated arms dragged along the tops of the seats too tall and too wide to fit in the aisle. "'I turned to face the girl. "'She'd lifted her head from her hands. "'I could barely see her. "'I could barely hear her. "'This is the last stop,' she whispered. "'I was really hoping you wouldn't board. "'I wanted more time. "'Before I could even comprehend what was happening, "'I felt an icy limb coil itself around my ankle.' It yanked and I fell. My nose connected with the floor on the aisle and I heard some crack. I thought that was it. I thought that was the end. But I looked up to see the demonic creature coil its other limb around the girl's neck. It hoisted her from her seat. She screamed as she was lifted toward the indistinguishable figure in the aisle. I couldn't really see what had happened in the darkness... I'll never forget the sound her body made when it was consumed by the black entity. It sounded like leaves crunching beneath walking boots. I'd almost entirely lost my sense of reality at this point, but some vestige of survival instinct persisted in my fractured mind. I twisted onto my back and looked down at my ankle. I couldn't really see what I was doing in the dark. I just knew I had to act. So, with my free foot stomped on the creature's limb, and I stomped as hard as humanly possible. The demon, who had been devouring the poor girl, unleashed an inhuman wail. It pierced my eardrums and shattered every window on the bus. The limb retracted from my angle and returned to the shadowy being. I seized my opportunity. Catapulting to my feet, I spun around and lunged for the now glassless back window of the bus. Clinging to the frame of the window for dear life, I took one last look at the dark entity that was hurtling towards me, then I dropped to my feet on the road. I sprinted away from the bus. Adrenaline fueled me onwards. I didn't look back. I just kept running. The speed I traveled, I think it only took me a few minutes to reach the warm and welcoming lights of civilization. I looked at my phone and cried when I saw that I had service. I booked a taxi. I wanted the furthest possible destination. I chose Manchester, then I took the first train to London. For the past couple of weeks, I've been living in a hotel. I know I was a little late, but I finally took the advice of that online stranger. I moved away. I moved far away. I don't go outside at night, and I definitely don't look out of the window after 3 a.m. I hope you enjoyed Night Coach by Dominic Eagle, as performed by yours truly. The wheels in the bus go round and round. The wheels go swish, swish, swish. The passengers go slurp, slurp, slurp. Though I will admit there are a few drivers in my neighborhood who always seem to be a little hungrier than others. Been camping lately. Nothing like getting back to nature. Away from all the toil, and the trouble, the cell phone signals, the emergency rescue services. But even beyond that, some areas may be more interesting than others, that probably are not the best places to put up your tent. Otherwise, you might find out more about the local fauna than you ever wanted to know. Without further ado, I present to you Oak Gate. Excluding some tropical species, such as coconut and banana trees, no tree can survive long without branches. And yet, defying all explanation, I saw a pair of branchless oak trees in the summer of 2015. When I use the word branchless, I'm not referring to a stump or a tree that's been shed of its leaves during the winter, I'm talking about 215 15-foot-tall tree trunks, both sporting identical pointed peaks and surfaces of jagged bark. No branches or leaves. I severed branch stumps on the bark that would indicate the old oaks had never been anything other than monolithic plants. Bizarre, I chuckled. Not necessarily riveting dinner talk, I know, Believe me, I wouldn't be recounting the tale if it had ended there. I chose to follow the overgrown footpath between the two pillars of bark rather than the well-maintained public footpath, which led far away from the ominously bare trunks. I've always been a contrarian, so I suppose I wanted to satiate my hungry ego by taking the less-trodden path. I'm no tourist. I inwardly scoff. Hubris always comes before the fall, or as my son would say, I'd succumb to main character energy. I wish I'd taken the popular path. I waded through leaves and moss and the underground crunched beneath my walking boots. I had no intended destination in mind. I was just looking for somewhere to set up my base camp. I knew how to retrace my steps. I saw no harm in taking a mystery trail. From time to time, I simply like to separate myself from the world. I venture on solo camping trips to clear my mind. My wife and children don't take much interest in nature, so it's not that I purposefully exclude them. Frankly, I thank God that they weren't with me on this particular trip. Whilst camping in the middle of a clearing, I was awoken by rustling sounds outside my tent. I tried to ignore them, squeezing my eyelids together and angrily attempting to force myself back to sleep. Frustration quickly turned to fear. The noises that engulfed my tent were unlike any I'd ever heard. I pitched squeals, similar to trainer souls squeaking against a hardwood floor, uh, were admitted from every direction, heart racing at a tremendous pace. I sat upright and stared at the fragile wall of material that was separating me from whatever unidentifiable things were out there. Very little moonlight reached the clearing, thankfully, so the shadows that danced on the outer fabric of my tent were indistinguishable. That made it easier to tell myself the creatures were simply foxes. They weren't foxes. I knew that. I used string to build a makeshift lock for the zipper on my tent. I didn't want anything opening the door to my vulnerable fortress. After that, I laid down and waited. The piercing yipping noises eventually died down, but I didn't immediately fall asleep. I intended to stay awake all night, but I must have eventually passed out. I think terror can do that to a person. In the morning, I planned to leave the haunting woods and go home. You can imagine my horror when I unlocked my tent door and found that I was no longer... "'in the forest clearing. "'My tent had been moved whilst I slept. "'More horrifyingly than that, "'I found myself stuck in a thick cluster of branchless trees. "'As far as the eye could see, "'I was surrounded by these eerily wrong oak trunks. "'I instantly packed my tent and belongings. "'I weaved between the densely packed trees "'of the new branchless forest, "'in which I'd found myself. "'No luck.' I completely lost my bearings. I had no idea where I'd been taken. The branchless forest was the same in every direction. All I could see was endless bark, and when the sun began to fall below the tip of the treetops, I realized I'd let the wintry day slip away from me. Night was approaching quickly, but that wasn't what terrified me most. The horrid squeals had returned, As the sun dipped lower and lower, the squeals multiplied and loudened. Before long, the sound was accompanied by rustling bushes. Panic turned me to stone. My walking slowed, and I started to believe I would never leave the forest. I was unbelievably happy when I found the stream, my saving grace. I couldn't find it on my map, but I didn't have time to think about the horrifying implications of that fact. Every stream has to lead somewhere, even in a dense landscape of alien trees. I had no idea which way to walk, so I followed the stream east. Trying fervently to ignore the cacophony of squeals and rustling shrubbery, I pressed onwards. I was stumbling around in complete darkness at this point, guided only by the dim light of my cheap torch. After an hour of walking, I finally found something promising a cave. I didn't plan on entering it, but I welcomed any sort of landmark that could break the monotony of ceaseless tree trunks. My victorious moment was short-lived, however, as I was interrupted by a small pattering of sounds from behind me. I quivered as I twisted round and moved my torchlight toward the source of the sound, finding myself gazing upon a terrifying gaggle of two dozen tiny humanoid creatures. Each one was about 30 centimeters tall, had two ant-like feelers in lieu of eyes, and brandished a ghoulish set of black fangs. Each one had also four vaguely humanoid arms, along with two vaguely human legs. As they walked toward me, they dropped forwards and used all six limbs to scurry like insects. I backed away incredibly slowly, almost too petrified to move. My torch shook violently in my near gnome hand. In a flood of sound and a flash of rapid movement, one of the fiendish things charged from my leg and made quick work of snaking around it. I screamed as the creature began to constrict my limb, cutting off its circulation. The creature's friends released a chorus of seemingly jubilant squeals. I didn't wait for the others to join their brave leader. I ferociously punted the trend-setting creature with the rear end of my torch, and it hissed in pain, uncoiling from my leg. Body shaking in horror, I seized my small window of opportunity and started sprinting toward the cave mouth. The six-limbed monstrosities pursued me, rapidly closing the gap between us. I expected them to devour me in the entrance to the black chasm I was approaching. They didn't, "'as I fell into the nothingness of the cave, "'I turned around to look at the now stationary group "'of horrifying ant people. "'They were just standing at the entrance of the cave and watching. "'It was as if they were too afraid to step inside, "'and I really should have paid more attention to that. "'A hiss, like a sand timer, being flipped upside down, "'erupted from the deepest point of the cavernous cave. "'I shuddered, but I realized I had two options.' could either face certain death from the ant people at the door of the cave, or I could risk whatever lay in wait. There really wasn't a choice, but I chose the latter. My torch barely illuminated a few yards in front of me, so I was mostly wandering in pitch blackness. The hissing creature was suddenly entirely silent. The only sound in the cave was that of my echoing footsteps. Even the ant people had ceased their squealing. What did they fear in the heart of that dreadful place? And that was when I saw it. The cave itself was not particularly big. It was more of a room than a home. And I stumbled into the room of the ghastliest thing I'd ever seen. The ant people paled in comparison. My torchlight could scarcely do justice to the enormous being before me. In the very far corner of the cave, about 100 feet from the entrance was a ten-foot-tall insect. Actually, no, I don't think it was an insect. Much like the ant people, it possessed some characteristics of certain insects and arachnoids. But this creature was a beast unto its own. The thing was essentially just six hairless legs, similar to those of a human, other than the length and the pointed ends instead of feet. At first glance, it seemed like a spider with two missing limbs, but I quickly ascertained that the creature had no discernible body. Its body was its legs. The thing had no head. Its six limbs met at a central point. There was no indication of any torso that would contain organs or sensory tools. Yet the creature certainly lived, and it certainly sensed me. Its horrifying six legs started to tentatively crawl towards the source of the torchlight. I wasn't going to wait around for another monster to seize my body and devour it. I scanned the walls of the cave, looking for a hiding spot. In the other back corner, there was a cluster of rocks. I could just crawl in there. I might be out of reach, I thought. I sprinted at a speed I didn't know I could reach. The six-legged thing hurtled after me, its limbs making a horrific clicking sound as they galloped across the stones beneath them. Diving for a gap behind the rocks, I crawled out of reach and shone my torchlight onto the creature, which lay beyond my rocky fortress. The thing unleashed a menacing howl and proceeded to jab the sharp ends of its fleshy limbs at the holes between the rocks. Fortunately, the rocks shielded me, but the wait until sunrise was unbearably long. As daylight began to fill the cave, I squinted through the cracks in my rocky wall and I was fairly certain the ant people had vanished. I had a plan, but I only had one shot at making it work. Searching in my rucksack, I found what I needed. A flare. I just had to hope it would scare away the six-legged thing that was valiantly attempting to turn me into minced meat. Not pausing to make any more plans or rethink my decision, I lit up the flare. It worked. The creature wailed in terror, backing away into its original corner of the cave to escape the scorching blaze of the flare in my hand. I hurriedly scrambled free of the rocky fortress, keeping the flare in front of me, and I ran to the entrance of the creature's den. I was determined not to spend another day in that nightmarish forest. I followed the stream the other way. After hours and hours of walking, I finally found something that briefly stifled the fear in my heart found trees with branches and leaves. Recognizing my surroundings, I managed to retrace my steps and find the original overgrown path that I'd followed through the two branchless trees, the trees that started that mess. I've never talked about this incident to anyone. I couldn't find that forest of branchless trees, the stream, or the cave on any map. I don't know how I stumbled upon it. I don't know how I escaped from it. I only know one thing, if you ever see a branchless oak tree, walk away. I hope you enjoyed Oak Gate by Dominic Eagle, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you have heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash eagle. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash e-a-g-l-e. Once again, if tonight's lineup was more of a light snack than a full meal, be sure to visit the Eagle Strikes on Reddit or look into his upcoming story collection, 13. That's 13. A baker's dozen of grisly goodness. As a reminder... If you decide to give tonight's talented authors stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know that you heard about them here on this program, and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Dominic would much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this program, and of tonight's featured authors. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, especially as we enter our twelfth season of frights, fun, and sleepless evenings. We have more planned for you in the next season, so stay tuned, as we weave in and out of stories of ghouls, ghosts, monstrosities, tortured psyches, and even the occasional madman or two enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. Find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs, or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at... Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review in a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday With more terrifying tales to keep you up all night, but that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?